If you can wade into the political arena and make it out unscathed, you must be doing something right. Brian Burke is your host for Kitchener Today on City News 570. Good afternoon. Welcome to Kitchener Today, Thursday afternoon, February the 17th. It is the penultimate show. I've heard that word a lot lately. Penultimate. It's the second last. Why do we have to use big words when it's not necessary? We shall refer to it, even though I referred to it on Twitter today, as penultimate. We shall refer to it as the second last show. Oh, we have so many fabulous guests today. Uh, Dave Jaworski, mayor of the city of Waterloo, or most parts of it will join us just after 12.30 this afternoon to, uh, well, as he put it on his Twitter feed, talk about the past, the present, and the future. And uh, then Dave Gilgrass will join me at 1. Dave is my brother, which really isn't that interesting, except it took 60 years to find that out. So we'll cover that ground just after 1. I've been threatening it for years. This will be the first time uh, the story's really been told anywhere. Cormac McSweeney joins us at 1.30 this afternoon as uh, an increased police presence shows up on Parliament Hill. He'll let us know what's happening. And there's a study out there that says we could become the Napa Valley of cannabis. And what would this show be without yet another cannabis segment? By the way, Brent, producer Brent, let me remind you, 2 o'clock, we will need a cannabis-themed song. Something Bob Marley always works. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Maybe UB40. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although they're older now, so they're now UB sixty. Most people <laughs> don't know that. All of that's coming up, but first, uh, that of course the uh, voice of producer Paulie. Brittany is out there in the ether somewhere, aren't you? Yes. Ah, good. Good to know. <laughs> glad, glad to have you here. I'm, I'm saddened that that you'll never be back in the office before I leave. That that hurts mm-hmm. my feelings. Such so. a sad. Sad time. Maybe we can meet in the middle, somewhere like Shakespeare. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Have you been to Except Shakespeare? Except that's not in the middle at all. That's like you traveling more towards me. Oh, we wouldn't want that. All right, well, St. <laughs> Agatha then. Or St. Agatha, as the as the uneducated pronounce it. What do you mean? It's it's that's definitely Agatha. how I pronounce it. What? No, 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 no. For years, Angie's used to run commercials on this station. They said St. Agatha. I trust what Angie said in your own commercials. Essentially, all you're doing is putting yourself in the file folder I just put you in. It's St. Agatha. No, it's not. Sure. It's just like the writer of those mysteries, Agatha Christie. (sighs) Right? It's all the same. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I want to take you back. It's such an important day. I want to take you back. Oh, and it was a day much like today in 1818. Just to annoy people. I ride it when I go to school or when I want to play. Nah, we won't do that. Uh, so, 1818, guess what was invented on this date in 1818? The I'm bicycle. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the bicycle. You're both wrong. The, no, uh, so, no, I, I was going to say the bicycle <laughs> helmet. No, no, you're both wrong. The Dracene. 
The what? The Dracene. What? What it that? was uh, invented by the very wonderful and named Baron Call Van Dre de Sauerbrunn. Okay, but still, what is it? Uh, well, it was a very, very, very early form of the bicycle. He was a young oh, you in- didn't have a song for that? No. A young inventor in Germany designed and built a two-wheeled wooden vehicle that was straddled and propelled, it says here, by walking swiftly. So it looked kind of like a bicycle, but you just kind of... Like the Flintstones? Yeah. Very Flintstonian vehicle, if anything now, else. What year was this? 1818. I don't know. For some reason, I would have thought the bicycle would have been invented long before that. You know, that's an interesting point. Like funny, you should bring that up. At least, well, there you go. The first known iterations of a wheeled, human-powered vehicle were created long before the Dracene showed up in 1418. An Italian engineer, Giovanni Fontana, or as it says here, Giovanni di la Fontana, constructed a human-powered device consisting of four wheels and a loop of rope connected by gears. That's okay. according to the International Bicycle Fund. But it would not technically be a bicycle because by two cycle oh, two wheels. wheels. Two wheels. This was, right. this was a quad cycle, right. if anything else. Here's what's interesting about Baron Carl von Dreist de Sauerbrown. Um, he made the decision to invent this because of a lack of horses. Hmm. I'll tell you why there were a lack of horses. Of course I would, because you would want to know this I, information. I can't wait to find out. Yes, I, I think you should pretend more enthusiasm in the future. In, in 1815, the Indonesian volcano Tambora erupted. That sent a huge cloud of ash into the sky. In fact, it is said to be the largest volcanic eruption in history. Bigger than, bigger than Pompeii. Okay, really? Right? And the largest explosion and sound ever heard on Earth. Global temperatures dropped for a couple of years because of the ash. Many animals, remember, we're talking about 200 years ago. Many animals, including horses, died of starvation. Mm-hmm. Didn't have enough of horses, so the Baron invented this two-wheeled thingy, Flintstone-type vehicle, to help people get around. See, necessity... Because there were no horses. I got it. Right. Now, here's another little-known fact. You have to dig really deep for this one. 1818, he invented this bicycle-type thing. In 1819, the uh, town of Baden, Germany, where he invented this put in hundreds of miles of bike lanes. And he still didn't bother to use it. He just rode on the damn sidewalk. And that's (laughs) where that all started. (laughs) What's going on with you, Britt? All right. Well, a woman in Washington is uh, quite disgusted and has decided she is giving up fast food because she found a five-year-old McDonald's hamburger in her closet. And it looks exactly the same as it did five years ago. (laughs) Of course it does. How did they not know that? Apparently, in 2017, she had bought a couple of cheeseburgers from McDonald's, but only ate one and forgot about the second for five days. Just put it in the closet. Like anybody else. That's the logical place to put an uneaten hamburger. Right. So she ended up keeping it as an experiment when she noticed it had not started to rot after five days. Three weeks go by. Again, the burger looks the same. As she was sorting through her closet and her Christmas stuff most recently, she knocked over a bag and the burger rolled out. She'd (laughs) forgotten about it in her closet all these years. She was so disgusted. She said it was hard as a rock. 
and she could probably use it as a hockey puck. And now it didn't smell. It had not shrunken in size. She assumes, okay, that there's no bacteria on it because of all the preservatives. Now, what would you do in this situation? Would you throw the burger out? Or would you lock it away in your closet in another five years to investigate it? I think I might do the second one. All right, because that's what she's decided she's going to do. She says she's come this far. She's kept it for five years already. She's <laughs> going to put it back in the closet Ow. and keep it for another five. That uh, that terrifies me. You could, however, if it still looks <laughs> the same. You could have some fun, wrap it up, and just leave it on a counter at McDonald's and see if anybody tries to eat it. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, she assumes there's no bacteria on it, so it probably is safe. Safe. Safe assumption. I bet that, that's truly disgusting. Hey, uh, today is a very special day. It is February the 17th. And and every now and then on this show, we like to point out some of the really important days. Like National for, Toilet Seat Day. Is it? I don't know. No. It is. This one's, this one's for Brittany. Uh, national, okay. It's National Drink Wine Day. Ooh, Which you've that. now been celebrating for 2,464 consecutive days, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. You know what? The, yeah. the, 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 the wine industry needs your help. It's also, and this is very specific, National Crab Stuffed Flounder Day. What? All right, I didn't know that was a thing. No, I didn't didn't know that you could combine two different foods that no one wants to eat and turn it into a day. What what is flounder? Well, come on. Crab is pretty good, Brian. Flounder is a a fish. It's It's a specific type of fish or just any fish? No, it's a a flat. It's kind of a flat type fish. All right. Flounders are quite popular. And when you stuff it, though, it gets not right. a little less flat. It's not as flat as it used to be. That's true. Uh, no one eats alone day is today. Well, that's a complete and utter lie. Did we not just <laughs> give away dinner for one? Yes, we did. So obviously some people uh, eat alone. I'm not 100% sure on this. It's also National Battery Day. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I am. I'm completely positive. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. See, see what I did there? Mm-hmm. That was pretty good, right? Lorraine, go ahead. You just mentioned by winning. <laughs> yes, and it's on its way, Lorraine. Trust okay. me on this. Okay, that's fine. That's good. No rush. Um, I, uh, but I call to say that in uh, regarding the, that hamburger that was preserved for so long with the preservatives, well, in the leaner days during the Depression and the war, we ate lean and healthy. And then after that, we ate food with preservatives. And I think that's why I've lived till past 80. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lorraine. I appreciate the call. Kevin, go ahead. Hello, hi. Um, My comment regarding that Big Mac story. Well, I don't know why everybody is picking at McDonald's. Has anybody tried to put a Whopper for five years to see what happened? Or Wendy's Burger? You know, to me, McDonald's has been in the business. Children, our generation, the children have grown to be healthy people. They're being enjoyed around the world. And I don't know why once in a while this story comes so unfair, you know, about McDonald's. I have no problem with it. I enjoyed it when I was a kid. My children enjoyed it. So eh, people should stop making these stories. I don't believe these stories, but, I mean, why everybody just McDonald's? I think for an experiment, why don't we put a Whopper for five years, see what happens? Maybe there is another company. So I think it's just targeted for McDonald's to make them look bad, but I have no problem. They have good food. Otherwise, they would have been out of business years ago. Everyone picks on the big guy, though. That's that's, that's the true. unfortunate reality. That's very true. Yeah, but maybe she didn't go to Burger King, okay? She just went to McDonald's. That's why she had the McDonald's burger. I don't think she was no, no, no. targeting them. But we've heard this before, right? I think, I think Kevin's got a really solid point. 
absolutely. It was this a story before. Like I heard it about many like other people that they're always experimenting on. There is on YouTube. There is on TikTok, and everything is always McDonald's. Maybe I'm gonna do it myself. I'm gonna buy a Whopper today, and I'm gonna put it in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. I'll come back in five years and let you know about my experiments. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. <laughs> and, of course, Kevin McDonald, who uh, joins us from the family today. <laughs> Ian, go ahead. Hey, Brian. You know, if you find out what the preservatives are in that hamburger, maybe we, we could use that on yourself to keep you on the radio. Well. The radio. <laughs> I'm not sure that there's any preservative that strong, Ian, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> I, love, I love your commentary with the bike in the bike lanes and that he just wrote on the sidewalk because... You know, that's uh, such a frustrating thing in downtown Kitchener where I'm at with the bike lanes. And, like, yeah, we were lucky to see a biker every two days on that. But, anyways, I, I called in more or less to say, you know, thank you for your time on air. Uh, I really loved uh, how you handle some very difficult situations, especially with certain uh, aspects of the uh, trucker convoy. Um, and, you know, you make some great points on other uh, topics of conversation. And uh, I had to call in today because tomorrow I'm off to Mexico. I don't care. Oh, no. uh, oh you. What's going on? <laughs> you have, have a good time. Have a cerveza for me, my thanks, friend. Brad, and best of luck for your future. All right. Thanks, Ian. <laughs> appreciate the call. I appreciate all those calls. We'll have all day tomorrow to do that foolishness, which will be, which will be fabulous. However, oh, all those fabulous days, including National Crab Stuffed Flounder Day, uh, pales in comparison to this, so I thought I would play this this song of this song of love. Would she ever leave him? I live By the way, worst day love song ever. Listen to ends, the chorus. I lose two friends. I can't win either way. My best friend's wife is the love of my life. Oh, I just oh don't know what to do about it. <laughs> wow. I can't remember whether this Paul Anka song, that My Best Friend's Wife is the Love of My Life, was released before or after You're Having My Baby, but they do seem to be connected. <laughs> oh, It's a wow. happy anniversary. How many years is it for you and, and the lovely Marnie? Six. Six? That's, mm-hmm. I got a thing on under my arm that's six years old. So that's <laughs> okay. Wait a second impressive. here. Are you playing that song, Brian, because you're trying to tell Polly that you're in love with his wife? I don't, send, I don't send messages over the radio. You know that, Brittany. What is Brittany. wrong with you? <laughs> Wow! Of, just of all the songs you could play about love and then say, happy anniversary, well, Polly. I don't think it would be, my best friend's wife is the love of my life. But <laughs> have, you not learned any, have you not learned anything over the last four years? <laughs> I have a genius in promoting rumors. <laughs> Things that, that I can do that few, how many times have I started rumors around this place? Like, like James with his Tesla. I'd be able to believe that he bought a Tesla for a while. It was fabulous. Almost lost his mind on it. Jack, go ahead. Yes, good afternoon. Um, you said it's you said it's Saint Agatha. No, it's Saint Agatha. No, <laughs> Brit, uh, Brian. He's yes, Saint, I said it's Saint Agatha. Yeah, no, it's Saint. It's Saint Agatha. That's what I said, Saint Agatha. No, it's Saint. That's. <laughs> no, it's Saint Agatha. As in, like, Agatha Christie, the novel murder yeah. writer? Agatha Christie. 
So you don't say Saint Agatha. It's Saint. No, you don't say Saint Agatha. Saint Agatha. <laughs> Brian I, uh, is trying to prove my point here, Jack. <laughs> no, Jack no, Brian. Oh no. Jack Brian is trying to mess with everybody. He keeps changing it every time he says it. I agree with you, Jack. It is Saint Agatha. Correct. That's as an Agatha Christie. Right. The the, the murder writer. Yeah. Agatha Christie. But anyways, uh, it's been nice having you on your show, Brian. (laughs) I mean, your show or whatever and stuff like that. I I think it's been nice having me on my show, too, Jack. I appreciate that. (laughs) And stuff, but it's like, I'm going to miss you and stuff like that because I don't listen to the Mike Farwell show anymore. Oh, I don't do that. I like your show way better. Uh, than his show. Oh, that was. See, we don't. We don't need to, now. See, now I have to use the dump button. There we go. <laughs> I waited obviously long enough, but we no, no. We we cannot compare. We cannot compare each other. Mike does his deal. I do my deal. I look. I am. I fully admit I'm insane. Like I'm the first person <laughs> mm-hmm. to admit that I look at things in a very, very, very odd way, which I think is a wonderful way to go through the afternoon. I really mm-hmm. do. And and tomorrow. I promised it earlier this week, and because I often forget what I plan to do from day to day, I promised it earlier this week. But, you know, based on our McDonald's hate, we will move on to another food product. Tomorrow we will replay the legendary, at least in our minds, TV dinners bit, which went so far off the rails, it wasn't even (laughs) worth talking about. And it's just, it's ridiculously funny. And I would argue, one of the funniest things I've done in 45 years on the radio. And that, by the way... Largely the result of two people who are willing to put up with my foolishness every day. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. See, if I push that red button, everything seems to work. (laughs) Joe, go ahead and talk. Brian, uh, is it just me, or does this feel like a slow rolling funeral convoy <laughs> forward to your last day? It's not rolling I, slow, Joe. It's fine. It's you know, I've always wanted to be able to to fake my own death and hear what people had to say about me. It's kind of nice to not have to fake the death part. Well, this is just that, and I think your handlers should check into Betty Port because somebody has a crack problem. So. <laughs> oh, now, come on, we're not going to have. Any of that, Joe, I appreciate the sentiment, but we're not going to have any of that because if I have any of that, I'm not getting to tomorrow. And I really, 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 really want to get to tomorrow. I do. I desperately want to get to tomorrow because Fridays are always fun here, right, Paulie? Yeah. You're the guy who has to answer all the phone calls. Yes. It's, it's a busy afternoon. It is very busy. Right? And we just, we never know exactly what's going to happen, and that's and that's perfect. So tomorrow, I don't have any, uh, I'm trying to get mine up a special guest tomorrow because I do have a handful of favorites, and one of them is Sylvain Charlebois from Dalhousie University, mm-hmm. who's always been... He's he's been so open to coming on the air because I remember vividly the one time he came on as he was driving across Western Canada. He was he was on vacation and he was driving he was driving he was somewhere in the middle of nowhere Saskatchewan mm-hmm. and uh, he said well I just wanted to talk to you because I always that's my worst French accent <laughs> because I like talking to you and Sylvain's uh, always been good fun again all of these special guests get on the radio because there's absolutely no purpose to the interview. It's just because I like them, mm-hmm. and I want to talk to them. And I, and I find, like many of these people we've had on the last four years, Paulie, I find many of these people really, really, really fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, and, and so the ones that we keep bringing back, the Ari Goldkinds, all of those guys, 
and ladies who come on, they're they're just you're just so interesting. Yeah, Ari is probably my all-time favorite regular guest who comes on. And I'll tell you the truth. One of the things I'll miss from doing this, because this is so dramatically different from, you know, from doing interviews as a reporter, which I've done, et cetera, all those things, because when you're doing those interviews, you're always listening for that, for that clip, for that 15 seconds mm-hmm. that you can use in the middle of your report. I don't have to do that here. Right. I can, you I can get the bigger picture. I can build the whole thing, yeah. which I think is really, really valuable for everybody who wants to do more than just read the headlines. Mm-hmm. So that's that was kind of always my motivation here. Uh, we will have uh, one of two Daves on. So it's Dave number one <laughs> after 1230. It's the mayor of some of the people of Waterloo, Dave Jaworski. He will join us, and then we'll talk with another Dave later. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Okay, uh, we're back, 12.30 this afternoon. Uh, I promise, look, I, we have more Daves per capita today than any other uh, radio station with a green banner than any other radio station. So we have more Daves today. So we should play this. These are the Daves I know and know. These are the Daves I know. These are the Daves I know and know. These are the Daves I know. We are the Daves he knows and knows. That's right. These are the days we know. One of the days we know is the mayor of the city of Waterloo, Dave Jaworski, who joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon, Brian. Looks like it's going to be a fun time. It is going to be a fun time. I don't know if you knew that song existed, but now you should turn that into your ringtone. That would be worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. You know, Brian, uh, my hearty congratulations uh, to you personally as a community builder. You know, I first heard you on Cool FM, Angie, Mark, and Brian's show. You always had that funny story at the end of the news. Uh, you might have been the inventor of the first big annual fundraiser with the Poster Boy campaign, living atop a billboard for weeks. You were being at the United Way, sitting literally at my uh, at my side at Waterloo City Council. And, uh, you know, if I think about something, I think about the beginning of the pandemic. And you had that special show with uh, Mike. And I think it was called After Hours. And we'd, uh, you know, celebrate yeah. uh, first um, our frontline workers. And you had the banging of the pots at 730 at the barrel yards there. You know, you've had a, a special time here on the radio and in our community. And I just want to say thank you. And uh, this is why local media matters, because you have radio, television, newspaper, professionals all and getting out the real conversations with the community rather than uh, putting stuff out on Twitter, which I didn't want to do today. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you. And and you know what? I, I appreciate that sentiment about local media, Dave. I've said this dozens of times. Newsroom cuts have impacted everything at the very bottom. Dave, we went to, we were in too many council meetings where there was no reporter. Yes. That, that's uh, not know, right. You know, and when we started our first council meetings back in 2014, uh, there was uh, not a seat available. We had to bring extra chairs for the media. And then by the end of our term, um, you know, there just wasn't any available. And it just, uh, you know, uh, 570 News does a great job, or City News 570, I should say, does a great job. And just really proud of the team that uh, you have there. Well, and, and uh, look, I've appreciated it. I appreciated those four years on council. I learned an awful lot at that time. It's so easy to sit on the outside and say, these stupid councillors don't know what they're doing. But when you're one of the stupid councillors, Man, you learn an awful lot in a hurry. Um, you have been there for almost eight years. So what's what's the future look like for Dave Jaworski? 
Well, that's I do have some surprise news, uh, Brian, for you and the community. And, uh, you know, I, I won't be seeking a third term uh, as mayor of the city of Waterloo. I, I really feel that, um, you know, we've accomplished so much in these eight years. And I figure the time is right to pass the baton to uh, to someone new. I want to give a few months for uh, great Waterloo community leaders to look in the mirror, talk with family and friends, to see if it's their time to seek election. You see, Brian, municipal roles are uh, the only jobs I can think of that you really have to commit for four years. So when I was thinking about this back in November, because the next term ends uh, this November 14th, I was thinking, you know, should I do this for one more year or five more years? And when it's a, a seven-day-a-week role, whether you be mayor or councillor or, or uh, some of our management team, 2026 sounds like a long ways away. So with the City of Waterloo on a great trajectory and tons of things happening in the City of Waterloo in 2022, I figured now is just the uh, the right time to say, you know what, I'm going to pass the baton. You know, I, I, and Dave, as you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of people walking away you know, when the when the time is right, I've also always been a big fan of term limits, but we never get anywhere on that. But but what happened? Because you and I went on our Pierre Trudeau walk in the snow back in, what was it, November, December, we bumped into each other uptown. And and at that time, you seemed pretty sure that you were going to run. Oh, 100%, Brian. You know, I've, um, you know, w- when you're mayor, you're not just thinking about what's going on today or the next week. You're thinking forward a, a number of years. And quite honestly, you know, things were getting back to normal in that time frame. And we had some uh, walks and get-togethers. Um, by that, I mean um, uh, things that were going on in the uptown. We were starting to have events again. And it was so exciting and so thriving to see people out and about. And that was really exciting. And then, uh, you know, the uh, pandemic came back again. And it's just up and down and seven days a week. And there's just so much more to do, you know, at the city of Waterloo. We're um, Canada's education city, and uh, I, I literally, I, I do call it the best council in uh, all of Ontario, um, best city council in all of Ontario, have great colleagues. And, uh, you know, we're really blessed with this this uh, term of council where half the councillors, uh, when elected, had kids 10 and under. That's a great, great uh, a viewpoint, and I have a great supportive team at the city, city of Waterloo under Mr. Tim Anderson. And uh, there's just a lot of demands on the job. And so with uh, all the things we're going to be opening this year, the new rec complex uh, um, gymnasium, the new adult recreation complex, Silver Lake is rejuvenated, and then finally the uh, East Side Library, and then uh, our Lumen Festival. We're going to go out with a bang in September of this year. The team has a lot of surprises to come, and it's just going to be exciting 2022 for Waterloo. Uh, well, one of the reasons I left, Dave, and I never actually talked about it at any point, was was that I looked around? I looked around the council table. I looked around at other other council tables, and I thought there are enough people here who look my, look like me. Other other people, and you mentioned it. You know, councillors with kids ten and under, they're the ones who are gonna who are gonna build whatever the future looks like. And to have those people engaged in the process to me is is just so important. Yeah, you know, we have um, you know, you really have to take a long term view on what's going on. Uh, we really have to, to, to buckle down and uh, tackle climate change. Uh, council terms are four years. So uh, there's only two more council terms to get it right. So 
there's going to be a lot for the next new council. Like, you know, the, the, uh, the traditional saying is there's a lot more work to do. And it's true. And there's a lot more work to do. And I think the, uh, the next person who comes in as mayor really has to have an eight-year time frame, a viewpoint. Maybe only stays four years, but I think it'd be great to have that eight-year viewpoint to tackle climate change, to look at equity, to look at economic recovery. Uh, the post-pandemic uh, recovery, nobody's been mayor and, and looked at that in 100 years. So fresh eyes on the topic, uh, I think, will be welcomed. And I think it's a, it, it's a great time for, for Jen and I personally. She's uh, got her e-commerce business, which is continuously growing. I'll have uh, time to help her uh, with that business. My family's been so supportive. Michael Christopher, uh, Jan's mom, Marie, uh, friend Gordon, and, and others. And just, uh, you know, great supports have made it uh, a wonderful council term. And uh, quite honestly, I think uh, for me, for me personally, eight years is, uh, is plenty. Uh, in all honesty, Dave, because I felt this in the past couple of years, that the pandemic and the reactions to it and all the stuff that's out there, really tends to, to beat you down a little bit. Did, you, did, that, did that wear on you? Uh, off and on, Brian, like I said, I think the things I missed the most were the events, the people, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're, you, I think it was on uh, Farwell's show this morning about uh, uh, mental health issues. I think you played that piece by Mike Morris. Uh, mental health issues are, are up. Uh, there's just a lot going on in the community. As, as city councillors, you know, we look after parks, recreation, arenas. Those have been closed. Um, people have been laid off. It's 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 a tough time. Um, I'm not saying that that really factored into my decision. It's really just that uh, it's tough times out there, and uh, we really uh, need to think about things. I remember being on Farwell's show after uh, an incident uh, um, a number of uh, years ago, and I was asked a question. I said, you know what, I worry about these things so citizens don't have to. And so for me, it's been, you know, uh, seven years of looking after things, worrying about things. You can think of it this way. It's like walking around your house and you see, ah, that needs to be fixed, so that tap's dripping. Well, for me, my house is 25 square miles. So when I drive around, I see, oh, there's ice there, or that needs to be fixed, or that sign's broken. And so it's just a, it's a big house to me. So it's a, it's been a wonderful time. And uh, like I said, there's still a lot more time. I'm still chairing a meeting for uh, City Council on November 14th. A uh, lot, lot more time to go, but I just wanted to get the message out there for other community leaders to uh, really consider it, to think, uh, look in that mirror. Uh, look back on that eight years for a minute. Look, I know you've got you've got plenty of media training. You've always been pretty media savvy. You know how to not answer a question as much as anybody else does. <laughs> but I don't know. Look back on those eight years, and and is is there a moment? It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be bad. It could be either. But is is there a moment? Is a is there a meeting that kind of stands sticks with you? You know, if I look back on my most fabulous times, it's with my grade five counselors for a day. <laughs> and uh, they, they're just so wonderful at age 10. And if I was to say what, uh, maybe uh, to tighten it up a bit, uh, following one of them, we did uh, what was called Girls in STEAM. Uh, so science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And we did that at the Institute for Quantum Computing, invited uh, uh, 100 uh, grade seven girls, to expose them to new technology ideas. We had asked for women leaders in the community to come out, and uh, not only did I get 30 of them, we had to cut the list off, I think, at 70, because more just wanted to come out, CEOs, uh, uh, 
uh, empty barters Chagger, um, you know, we, uh, I think Catherine Fife was there. Just so many people had come out. And uh, that was a one-day event. And now we can look at, um, oh, uh, the, the, new, the new group, and Toby, Day's, uh, Toby Day Hamilton's group that's, uh, you know, just got an extra funding to go right. Canada-wide. And it just, it, it, it stems from there. <laughs> no pun intended. It stems from there, <laughs> that, uh, that one event that we hosted at the Institute for Quantum Computing at the University of Waterloo. And I would say that that was... Um, uh, 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 probably the uh, brightest point in my life. Well, and I, I tell you honestly, Dave, that uh, that my daughter Allie, who you know, was always a big fan of the stuff that you did for kids and and how you worked with them, and uh, and she she was always thrilled to to get a chance to talk to you. Oh yes, I always have a lot of time for uh, Waterloo business owners, and I've known uh, certainly Allison for a long time. Uh, so, the, part of my job here, Dave, is to spread rumors. So, which party are you running for in the provincial election? You know, I, I have a lot of time for anybody who wants to be uh, a member of provincial parliament, a member of parliament. Those are such tough jobs. Not only do you have the uh, the political aspect of it, but you have um, uh, you have the uh, travel to Queens Park, the travel to Ottawa, and uh, that is not on my list of things to do at all. I my my heart goes out to all the people who can commit to that, and it won't be me. Well, it's not going to stop me from starting the rumor. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dave. Yeah, more. You know, Brian, there is so many volunteerism things to do in the community, and that's been the heart of what got me to be mayor, certainly my business background for 25 years, including with research in motion. But I would say it's my time with Communitech and the Chamber of Commerce and uh, Capacity Canada and uh, so many so many great groups like that that uh, gave me the wherewithal to uh, to become mayor. And uh, I think it's time to go back to my roots. You know, I'm not in a hurry to uh, to start something new in 2023, but uh, volunteerism is certainly high on my list. You're going to bring the, bring back the BlackBerry Bold, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, BlackBerry uh, 5G or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that's uh, uh, in the works, so we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, Dave, thanks for your time. I, I, you know what? I really appreciated your, uh, your, your mentorship when we were on council. I learned an awful lot from you. And uh, and just to have uh, I've enjoyed having you around as mayor, and I'm and I'm happy you're walking out in your own terms. So it feels good, doesn't it? Oh, it does. I have a, I literally have a smile on my face. I'm relaxed. I'm happy. I, I'm I'm still going to work each and every day, seven days a week. And uh, you know, I think it's uh, maybe some time off for good behavior to inter- <laughs> intertwine it a bit. Good behavior is overrated. Trust me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dave, thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Awesome, and thank you, Brian, for all you've done. Dave Jaworski is the mayor of the city of Waterloo. He will not be attempting to become a three-term mayor of the city of Waterloo, which I think opens things up to some really interesting situations. I know, look, I know, and I don't want to fuel them, I know the rumors will abound that Dave will be running for something else, but we take Dave at his word when he says that's not on it. I can understand that you want to take a break from it. Council is, uh, is well, I'll be honest, is largely a part-time job. You can fill it with a lot of different things, a lot of different days. You can go to this event, that event. That hasn't been the case the past couple of years, but mayor is a seven-day-a-week job. And as I've said, I'm a big fan of people walking away. I think term limits are a wonderful thing because it gives another generation the opportunity to step in and become a member of council, which I, which certainly happened in Waterloo. And you can, you can agree or you can disagree with the people and their opinions on City of Waterloo Council, but it is more representative of our city when it has young parents on it 
and you know people who are really just starting to build those cities as opposed to you know the people who've been around for a long time and still have certainly the best interests of the city at heart but it is a very different perspective of life in a city when you're 30 than it is when you're 60 so you know what good on you dave first of the uh, of the political announcements who knows i have some ideas in my head who might actually take a run at that job, but that's uh, actually pretty decent of Dave to give it up in mid-February so people can have the chance to consider it, put it together, and see what they can do. And, uh, you know, if you're one of those people who is either unhappy with the way the city is being run or perhaps thinks they uh, they can lead the way, I urge you to consider that possibility. The more people we get involved in the electoral process the better off we are. Remember how we've talked about, you know, you vaccinate your way out of a pandemic. You, you, there is no way forward except to vote our way forward. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. I won't be seeking a third term uh, as mayor of the city of Waterloo. I, I really feel that, um, you know, we've accomplished so much in these eight years. And I figure the time is right to pass the baton to, uh, to someone new. I want to give a few months for uh, great Waterloo community leaders to look in the mirror, talk with family and friends, to see if it's their time to seek election. That's uh, Waterloo Mayor Dave Jaworski. He will maintain that job until, uh, I believe it's the 1st of December, is when turnover comes. So we will see who perhaps takes a run at it in the next election. Uh, Dave, uh, of course, elected first in 2014. And then again, re-elected in 2018. Had a couple of people run against him at that point, but it was, as is often the case in municipal politics, a bit of a runaway at that uh, at that level. Once you've been in the office for four years, it does get a little bit easier, especially at the municipal level, to win re-election. There were a lot of, uh, you know, I think back on those eight years, and I spent four of them there, on you know some of the really, you spent a lot of time on development proposals. And, you know, as I... You know, look around the city of Waterloo. I was on council when we approved the expansion of the Waterloo Rec Center, which if you haven't driven by it in the past couple of years, it's very close to opening at this point. And, uh, and it will kind of bring a whole bunch of different things back together. That's a, that's a big project. And it is, in my mind, the kind of things that cities should invest in, right? Rec centers and parks and trails and things that citizens can enjoy. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great piece, and it's odd, hard to believe that that rec center was 25 years old, and it also needed a few repairs. So all of that's being done. It has been transformed. There are going to be meeting rooms, all kinds of things that weren't there before. That's I think a really important thing. We took some heat when we were on council for the lights that go along King Street, but I I like the vibe. Uh, I I wish they'd use the colors more often, but I do enjoy that that part of the city and and the way that it looks uh we we gave the approval to the east side library out at rim uh that was a, again another one of those things that cities need to invest in although i think a lot of times we think as libraries as being irrelevant because of the internet that is not uh really the case for some people uh we we approved as i mentioned an awful lot of development proposals because remember if you go back to 2014, the LRT wasn't yet operating. It was still 
being considered now. Of course, it runs up and down the spine, and so much development is focused along that route. Certainly, the new buildings on Willis Way were part of that. A variety of towers that you see all along the route, those are the things that often press councils to a large degree because there is always that that argument between people who don't necessarily want to see their neighborhood changed and changes that happen as the city grows. And I remember when I first drove into Waterloo, I think the population sign was 36,000. So basically Stratford today, and that, that was a long time ago. But the city has changed. The skyline has certainly changed. When we, uh, when we drive in from Bayfield, it's one of the things we comment on about how much the skyline of Waterloo itself has changed. Um, mayors will always be, uh, well, disliked for the tax increases. Nobody wants their taxes to go up. And people will often complain about things that, where money is spent that they may not particularly agree with. Let's think bike lanes on that. But it is a, it, it can be a very difficult job. It can also be a very fulfilling job. And I know Dave would say that. I know Barry Verbanovic would say that from Kitchener. I know Catherine would say that from Cambridge. All of the mayors I've ever known, and it's a pretty long list. I go back a very, a very long time in the city of Waterloo and have been happy to know uh, most of the people who've been mayor at one point or another, whether it was uh, Joan McKinnon or Lynn Wollstonecroft or Brenda Halloran. Look at that. I can, off the top of my head, uh, just name three female mayors of Waterloo, and I know I'm missing some. So, some pretty remarkable people. And, again, I, I urge you, because I've done it, I urge you, if you think the system can be better, then get out there and become a part of it. We cannot vote our way, or we cannot not vote our way out of our problems. It's the only way. Whether or not you want to join the school board, because you have issues with that, or you want to run for council, or you want to run for mayor, or regional council, any of those things. You know, if you are inclined to do that, think about it, take a run at it, learn what the rules are, and, and get out there and take your opportunity to make things a little bit better. You're only one vote, but you are a voice, and that's, that's really important. We had, we had a lot of fun at Waterloo Council, and as Dave said, I was literally right beside him, so if I said anything stupid, he could reach over and <laughs> remind me that I shouldn't do that. But we had, uh, we did have a lot, of, a lot of fun. We had some really good conversations. I did not agree with everybody on that council because you never, ever, ever will. But we were always able to have pretty good discussions and disagree from time to time, and still, you know, be able to work things together. Uh, coming up on the other side. Now, this is difficult because. When you get two people from the same business, especially this business, there's a tendency to try to outfunny one another, and that never works out well. And that's kind of the story of my next guest. Uh, Dave Gilgrass will join us. Uh, first met Dave 10 years ago under some unusual circumstances, and we will try to, uh, to keep that story as straight line as we can without disappearing into other places, because it really is... An interesting story that uh, that we've actually that I've actually never shared in full detail before. So we will we will do that, and I think you'll be interested in it, and it might at times blow your mind. This is Kitchener today on City News five seventy.
Well, our next guest this afternoon, because I'm the laziest host in history, is named this. These are the days I know and know. These are the days I know. These are the days I know and know. These are the days I know. We are the days he knows and knows. All right, we head into our... To our other Dave of the day, Dave Gilgrass uh, joins us this afternoon from Ottawa. We're actually going to talk to Cormac McSweeney just after one thirty this afternoon about the situation in Ottawa. But hey, Dave in Ottawa, what's the situation? Any 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 truckers? Anything happening in your neighborhood? Um, well, there is um, you know some openings. There are some openings actually for the mayor of Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> just if you're interested. <laughs> well. <laughs> one of those things to consider. I said uh, one of the problems when we get together on the phone is we try to outfunny each other, and I'm, I'm I'm trying to avoid that today because it takes a while to actually tell this story. Yeah, and I does. guess okay. let's let's start at the very beginning, and and uh, and I guess you know what you're born, you lived. Tell us about the very start. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, I was born. Um, you know in uh, Ottawa at the Salvation Army Hospital for Unwed Mothers. Uh, that's a wonderful name. They've since changed it. Um, August 22nd, 1951. <clears throat> and uh, then I was delivered by train by a lady named Pat Parker to uh, North Bay to uh, my parents, who were uh, George and Mary Gilgrass. Um as an aside, I'm the only guy named Dave Gilgrass in North America. So. <laughs> <laughs> and still, nobody can spell it. No, no, uh, it is a challenge. Uh, so yeah. there you are, you're delivered, I love the way you put that, uh, in North Bay. And so when did you discover, Dave, that you were adopted? Um, I don't know. Early on, there was no big secret, you know, um, my uh, my mom was a very stoical, straightforward, this is the way it's going to be person. Um, and I just always knew. You know, they always I, they told me I was adopted, went through the regular questions, I guess, that, you know, why didn't they want me, what happens. Um, I would say four, maybe four years old. And... and- uh, and that's okay. And I can understand that, right? Like it's never hidden. It's it's. And actually, when you think back, you're thinking back to the fifties. That's a that's a very different attitude than I think a lot of people had in those days. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I, I knew a lot of kids who were adopted growing up. Uh, there were a lot of them. Uh, a couple. I knew a couple who had some tragic realizations. You know, in their late teens, when they found out they were adopted, then which was totally incorrect and, and wrong. But, you know, in our household, and I was the only kid in the household, it was just not a big deal. You know, I had a cousin who was also adopted. Uh, she and I were are, were very close and still remain close. Um, whether there's, a, there's an unwritten bond between adopted people. Uh, I'll jump forward just a little bit. And, and some friends of ours, Ron Thornbury and his wife Denise, were here for dinner. They're both adopted. They're from Perth. And uh, they're a brother and sister combo in both families, and the four kids were adopted. Um, So Denise and Ron and I are talking about things adopted. And Margaret, my wife, says after a period of time, i got to tell you, I have never felt so out of a conversation in my life. You people aren't finishing sentences. You're finishing each other's sentences. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And there is just this 
thing going on. I don't know what it is, but that's that's where it comes about. So, back to the story. Um, you know, so I, I went through life knowing I was adopted. It wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, when I got into my late 20s, I started to do some searching. That's when men normally start to do searching. Women start in their late teens. Uh, it was pretty hard then. You know, we're talking about, you know, the late 70s when I started looking around and uh, called the Children's Aid Society in the North Bay um, and got a hold of a lady who knew Mary uh, because she had done a lot of work in teaching and she taught developmentally challenged children and was one of the people instrumental in starting the Association for the Mentally Retarded. Anyway, um, she knew her and she opened up the file and read me a lot of information in the file um, that then later turned out to be obfuscated, uh, if I could use that word. I certainly can't spell it. But um, she went and told me this couple of things. This many people, parents knew each other in Ireland. They were both from Ireland. Families didn't know each other, on and on. Uh, father was a traveling salesman. Um, the mother was uh, working in North Bay, became pregnant, uh, didn't tell the father, later went on, had me in Ottawa, and um, went on with their lives. That was really what I knew. So, <clears throat> you know, we skip forward, I guess, into the 80s. We're here in Ottawa. I uh, joined Parent Finders, went to two just heart-wrenching meetings with people in tears and pleading to be helped to find their birth parents or their siblings or wherever it went. I decided that wasn't really for me. So, you know, I just put it on the shelf a little bit, registered with the Ontario Registration Adoption um, uh, Agency, that uh, if a birth parent registers and the two people sync up, the two files sync up, they will try to arrange a meeting. Well, because of the file that I didn't know was changed, nobody registered, uh, there was nothing happening. Uh, let me see, where does it go from there? So I jump forward, I guess, to, um, I guess, 2009. Um, I had done a little bit, put things on the shelves. There were a lot of roadblocks up to find things out. And really all I wanted to do was find out, you know, are there any medical issues? Um, are my parents still alive? I'd like to say, hey, it went okay. You know, like, I, I guess you'd think about me, but maybe if you don't, it went okay. That was what I told myself. Um, <clears throat> so we jumped forward to 2009. Craig, our oldest son, had been doing some ancestry work for his mother-in-law. And I went on to Ancestry.com, and, uh, you know, I knew uh, my birth name was Doyle. I knew that my last name as Doyle was my birth name. I didn't know what my mother's maiden name was, or if that was her maiden name, or what her first name was. Went on to Ancestry.com typed in some stuff and uh, found out some information about uh, Thomas Bork and Kathleen Doyle. And I looked at that, and, you know, I went, okay, um, yeah, they were married in 1968. There's three kids. They were born in the late 50s. Um, but the Thomas and Kathleen got married in 68, I guess. Uh, he was married before, and his wife died, and this is a, you know, later-in-life thing. Um, nothing happened, because sometimes you're afraid to find out. So, didn't do anything. 
Um, <laughs> uh, we jump forward to a couple of other times and probably going to, I'll, I'll jump way forward sure. to, 24, to 2014. So, you know, April 23rd, Margaret and I are watching TV. We're watching a show uh, that's based in Galway in Ireland. Margaret says, uh, hey, listen, you know, like, where's Galway exactly? So I pull up the laptop and a Google map, and I say, here it is on the West Coast, right across from Dublin on the East Coast. Okay, great. She said, well, where's that in relationship to where your birth mother was from? Now, I had known because I had gotten a package from CAS in about 2010 uh, when they opened up adoptions in 2008 in Ontario. So I got in the package, and it had some information in there. Uh, and that was the first time I had seen that my mother's maiden name was Kathleen, Kathleen Doyle. Um, I have a copy of a letter that she wrote to Pat Parker, the uh, social aid, social uh, services worker who delivered me to North Bay. And that's a pretty tough letter to read. Just She, she said, this is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Um, and it goes on and on, and it's going on and on. It's a very, it's a one-pager, but it's tough for me to read emotionally. Um, I'm going to hit the mute button for a second. That's okay. I, I, I appreciate that. And uh, so so let me get you to jump forward just a little bit, uh, because we do have to take a break, and then I want to come back. Okay. But, but so get to the point where you've you've discovered not only who your parents might be, but how many of us are there. Um. Some would say way too many. Yeah, most people would say too many, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. You can never have too many. So, anyway, um, long story fairly short, I end up phoning a lady named Pat Bork. I called her on uh, on a Friday morning. Uh, No, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter what morning I called her. I said, hi, Pat. My name's Dave Gilgrass. I'm calling from Ottawa. I'm not with the government, and I'm not calling to help you. I'm actually calling about uh, Kathleen Doyle. So Pat said, okay. Right? I thought she said, okay. But she said, okay, uh, because I didn't know Kathleen had called herself Kay. Anyway, we went on, and I told her a little bit of information, Waddings Land, Ireland, which, you know, you've been there, Brian, and yep. you know it's, it barely qualifies as a crossroads, right? And told her some information, and she knew some of it, didn't know some of it, and I said, I think she was my mother. Now, Pat, in, you know, to her stead, took that unbelievably well. So we went on, and at some point in the conversation, she said, I think we could be siblings. Uh, I hadn't considered any of that when I called. I just called because there's a story in tracking her down, etc., but I called. And one of the reasons I called was when I was looking at a genie listing that came up, it said, Kevin is an engineer, Pat is a writer, Brian works at Cool FM. Uh, well, what? Well, that's, pretty, that's pretty odd. Yeah, that's actually the best part of the story. We have to take a bit of a break, Dave. Just, just hang on. We'll keep you on hold. We'll come back in just a minute. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. At some point in the conversation, she said, I think we could be siblings. Uh, I hadn't considered any of that when I called. I just called because there's a story in tracking her down, etc. But I called, 
And one of the reasons I called was when I was looking at a genie listing that came up. It said, Kevin is an engineer. Pat is a writer. Brian works at Cool FM. Uh, well, what? Well, that's pretty odd. That's pretty odd. Uh, Dave Gilgrass joins us from Ottawa. Dave uh, adopted. Uh, I'll shorten the story for all of you. Uh, my father and mother uh, could not afford to have a child at that point, so Dave was uh, was placed into the adoption system. And uh, what was it, Dave, 2014, when we actually had our first conversation? Yes, it was. It was um, April 25th, 7.03 p.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> so counting. I don't know that I've ever asked you this, but you go from only child to all of a sudden discovering about your parents who passed away in the late 70s, early 80s, and discovering you have three siblings, you are now a multiple uncle. <laughs> like, you know, what? Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, Allie was the first person in the Bork family to call me Uncle Dave. <laughs> and it was on that Friday when all this stuff was going on and emails were back and forth between Pat and myself and she included you in a trail, and, you know, his pictures were sent, and, and I guess your girl said, whoa, whoa, that's Uncle Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so then Pat sent a, sent a picture that had Kevin, Pat, and you. I think you were receiving uh, an award of some, yeah. some type. Yep. Yes. Um, so I, that was on my computer, and we went through a bunch of things, and then she said, well, um, you know, I'm going to include Larry Silver in this uh, in this whole thing because apparently he knows Dave too. Yeah. I'm going, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> Larry and I were roommates in college. Well, I'll tell. I want to tell that story quickly because okay. the day that I talked to you, uh, then I had to go to a, a station event, which was thankfully being held at a bar because I seriously needed a drink. <laughs> and I was telling somebody else the story, and it takes a while to get to the point. And this guy's name is Dave Gilgrass, and Silver, who of course is a is a radio legend, whips around and goes, oh, "I know Dave Gilgrass. I think I lived in a house with him." And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, "Here's a guy who knew, who turns out to be my brother." What forty years before I knew a brother existed? Yeah, pretty close. Strange, yeah. and and so Dave. You're, you spent years and years in radio, as I am coming to the end of my years and years in radio, which that just strikes me as very odd in the whole nature versus nurture thing. Yeah, and because I'm older, you can blame it on me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was really the, that was one of the, well, what was it? I looked and I went, what? What? Cool FM? Well, I can't be. And then... The next day, I looked up things, and I realized that I had a copy of Pat's book called Yesterday's Dead. Yes. Um, you know, that has a whole other thing, which very, uh, you know, emphatically now, uh, because she wrote it about the, uh, the Spanish flu influenza epidemic in, uh, you know, in 28, in what, 1918? Yeah. Uh, 100 years ago. Anyway... We had a copy of that, and in the basement, in a cedar chest, are two uh, pages from the Toronto Telegram and maybe uh, maybe the Star that uh, listed the people who had died from the Spanish flu under the heading, Yesterday's Dead. Well, we have those two listings because my mother, Mary, she lost two uncles in Toronto to the Spanish flu. 
So that title, like, I kind of knew it was there. Anyway, small coincidence, looking at all the stuff, I end up looking up Pat's um, website and finding that she's going to North Bay on the Monday for a Young Canada Readers Conference to talk about the book Yesterday's Dead. So I sat there with my dog, Dugan, and I said, okay, North Bay, yesterday's dead. The one guy works in radio. This is just waiting. <laughs> I'm going to call her. That's how that all came about, right? So, yeah, I went into radio based on, I don't know, a, la- a serious lapse in judgment. Yeah, poor career <laughs> advice. I usually blame it on Dave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, anyway. Yeah, I went to radio. I was an announcer. I was never a news person. Uh, I was an announcer. I worked in different places in Northern Ontario, Ottawa, Windsor. We found out in our first conversation that we both worked at CKWW in Windsor. Yeah, and I don't know. I can't remember how far apart that was. About four years, I think. I was there in 76. Yeah, and I I got there in uh, 1980. Yeah. Also, I did actually ended up checking back later. And and there were people there who remembered you, and then they looked and said, "Well, wait a minute, yeah, you do kind of sound the same." <laughs> <laughs> Let me. I, I, we're running out of time, Dave, and I'm really sorry about okay. that. But I just wanted to ask, like, what did it mean to discover that extended family out of nowhere? Oh boy, that's a that's a great question. Um, that's a great question. Maybe it's, you know what, if you haven't figured it out yet, that's okay. No, I have to say that everyone in the family, you know, you, Diana, your girls, Kevin, Loretta, his girl, Pat, Barry, right? There, to me, there's been, there never has been any feeling of being an outsider. It was just you know, we got together, we connected, we, we met in Paris, Ontario at that restaurant, and it was just okay. It was the way it was supposed to be. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think about you guys every day. Um, and <laughs> what does it mean to me? I, it's, I, I don't know if I could put a, put a feeling on it, you know, which is feels pretty good. Because, you know... All of you guys are a bunch of real good people. Well, we, to be honest, Dave, we felt we were upgrading. Like, you know, we, mm, we thought... I've met Kevin. I know, yeah, I know for Pat and I, we thought anything's got to be better than Kevin. And, and I actually did invite Kevin on the show today, but he's retired, but somehow he's busy between 9 and 3. I don't understand that. I, uh, yeah. We enjoyed that time in Paris. Uh, we enjoyed playing golf with you because uh, other brother Kevin, who, as you well know, is arguably the worst golfer in the world. Um, it it was fun for you and I just to pound him into the ground, and you especially pounded pounded me into the ground. So I'm not even the best golfer in the family anymore, which is really disturbing. <laughs> I, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I've I've become not that good in the last couple of years. Oh, so good, hope, Ryan. And when we get together next time, there's hope for you. <laughs> yeah, there is. That's that's helpful, Dave. Uh, thanks for taking the time to tell the story. Thank you especially for taking the time to look us all up and and figure all this out. Because uh, every time I think about it, it it blows my mind, and I'm so glad we had the chance to finally do this on the air. I, I am, too. I'm really, really pleased and honored, and uh, I wish you guys all the best in everything 
about whatever it is you're going to be doing. And um, I think you've done a marvelous job for the Kitchener-Waterloo area. And you've certainly done just a great job. Just a great guy, a great job. And uh, before I get weepy, perhaps we should sign off. (laughs) All right, I'm going to hang up on you. You know the way this works in radio. I do. I get the hang up on you right away. That is uh, Dave Gilgrass. He is my brother. Kitchener today on City News 570. You talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too much, you even worry my pet. You just talk, talk too much. As you're hearing on our newscast all afternoon, lots of goings on. In Ottawa. So when we have goings-on in Ottawa, we go to the guy who's going to the goings-on. That would be our Parliamentary Hill Bureau Chief, uh, Cormac McSweeney, joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Cormac. Good afternoon. Uh, So uh, where are you? What's happening? Well, I'm standing on Metcalf Street, uh, just next to the Prime Minister's office, um, in the shadow of Parliament Hill at the moment, right by Wellington, by the main stage that demonstrators have set up. As you can hear, the horns are honking. They've got speakers on right now, but they just went through about 17 straight minutes of horn honking by the trucks, I, I guess as a, you know, a form of disobedience to the injunctions that they've had in place, telling them they're not supposed to be honking their horns. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there are police who are walking through the area. It's, uh, it's been quite the scene this morning as we've seen the buildup of police uh, before ahead of a potential uh, intervention in this. How how different does it look, Cormac, police presence related today compared to yesterday or the day before? Well, we really didn't have that many police uh, physically walking through the crowd like we've seen today. Uh, they're coming in groups of, you know, 12 or so. Uh, the police officers are uh, gathering together and they're, they're walking through the protest zone. Uh, earlier today, they were handing out what, what appeared to be the final notices, the last warning to protesters telling them to leave now or you will be arrested you could face charges and uh, some people were actually following the police and yelling obscenities at them uh, you know just now walking right by me uh, there's there must be 20 police officers who are, are walking down Metcalf away from uh, away from the protest zone so it's a much larger presence they've erected barriers on the front gates of Parliament Hill um, and uh, the Ottawa police just tweeting out uh, just minutes ago saying that they're going to be erecting barriers throughout the downtown core and anybody without lawful acts, uh, lawful reasons to enter the core will be turned away. So if you live or work in the core, you can get in. Everyone else won't be allowed in, apparently. So we're going to wait and see what, uh, what the next steps are for police because we've been anticipating potential action since this morning when this buildup started and busloads of officers were brought in, uh, and yet we have not seen that at this time. So where have those busloads of officers gone? Are they just are they just circulating through the crowd? Well, no, they're not just circulating through the crowd. We've seen them in different areas, different buildings. Um, so you know, there there are people who tweeted uh, a shot of uh, a line of officers coming out of the chateau, the historic Chateau Laurier Hotel. Um, you know, I saw busloads coming up uh, from the direction of uh, Ottawa Police Headquarters. Uh, there are a lot of them who are walking through. There are others who are in. Police cruisers, uh, which are blocking access points. I mean, we're talking a wide area of the downtown that's covered by these protests, so they're spread out quite a bit. And uh, they, I think they're strategically placing themselves inside buildings where people can't see their real numbers, 
outside buildings. You can definitely see them here in the protest zone. Um, and uh, we'll wait to see when they decide to take the enforcement action, uh, you know, what their strategy will be for clearing this out because there are a lot of trucks, a lot of people, and there are some uh, big difficulties for them as well. You know, there are a lot of people who brought their kids down here, um, and there's an estimate, like, you know, there could be a, as many as 100 kids who are sleeping with the protesters who are camped out here, uh, in addition to the ones that are being brought by their parents just to check things out. So that's an issue for police, and, and chi- uh, children's aid is involved in that. Uh, but also the weather. You know, it's, it's been raining all day. It's been wet. It's been cold. And uh, tonight, we're going to get a snowstorm that I think is rolling through much of the province. It's going to hit Ottawa, and we're expecting as much as 30 centimeters of snow. So if we're getting that overnight, that's going to be a bit add, add to the difficulties, if you will, for uh, the police in terms of dealing with any enforcement options with this protest. And the other worry is you've got thousands of people who come in every weekend, the weekend warriors for this protest. Um, the worry is that if they don't take action before the weekend, city councillors have expressed this concern that we're going to see thousands of people flood the city again if they don't take action before the week, the long weekend hits. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a bit tense, but at the same time, some of the protesters don't seem to have a care in the world. They say, arrest me if you want. I'm standing here and I'm not going to move my ground. Do you have any sense, Cormac, of, of how this police presence is equipped? Because I certainly read things this morning from social media sources which said it is likely that Ottawa will see something that it has never experienced before. So is there any, any sense of, of how police are equipped for this? Because walking through doesn't seem to be the way this ends. Yeah, you know what? I've, I've been on the Hill for a very long time. I've covered a lot of protests, some of them that um, you know saw arrests happen, some of them that got a bit aggressive. Um, some of them that caused a lot of concern but didn't get as aggressive as people thought. Uh, and when I've seen all of that happen, you know, police are always very calm, never really leads to any, like, hard crackdown like we see in other countries or in other demonstrations that have happened in other cities. I mean, you can point to Toronto uh, with the G7, G20 protests uh, when uh, there was kettling happening, and that led to a lot of violence. There was destruction of private property, uh, of public property and, and police cruisers and things like that. Um, so they're warning that they're going to use tactics that Ottawa normally doesn't see. See, And they could be referring to that those sort of tactics of kettling people off, closing them in enclosed areas, and then uh, basically uh, uh, swooping in to, to arrest these people. But we don't know. We just don't know. I mean, I'm looking down one street here, Spark Street, and I can count like 20 or 30 police um, but, uh, you know, that's not enough for the, for the crowd that we have at the moment. But, you know, as I said, they're, they're spread throughout. They're in buildings. They're outside of buildings. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what tactics they use and what strategies they use to clear this out. Because you also have all these trucks, and the concern is these trucks could be used as weapons um, if, if there is any sort of action. It, all it takes is one person who decides to do something, and there could be some serious uh, concerns for public safety and for uh, the safety of police officers and uh, other protesters even. So um, we'll see how it happens, how peaceful it is when the enforcement does happen, uh, because all the indications are that it will happen. It seems imminent, but we're still waiting to see when police make their move. I hear, obviously, not a lot of noise in the background. Uh, so, so what is that? Is that just music playing, or is it somebody speaking? Because it's interesting to find out. Yeah, so uh, they, they've had a stage set up, and throughout much of the day, throughout all of this, uh, they, they'll blast music. They've had people perform their own music. Uh, they've had speakers come out. Uh, there was a preacher who was preaching earlier as well. Uh, so it's 
for a lot of people here, this is just like one big block party. It's like a festival to them, um, despite the fact that police have said, this is illegal. You will be arrested. You need to move out. Uh, and so they've got their tents set up. They've got camps. They've got fires going. They've got barbecues going. They're, they're passing around drinks. There's been a lot of people. You know, there's a whiff of marijuana in the air uh, around lunchtime when I was walking through. So, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's, a, it's a different scene for sure. Um, and unlike any protest that I've ever seen or any demonstration that I've ever seen on the Capitol. Any, any sense at all, Cormac, if, if whatever enforcement is going to happen happens daylight or dark? That's unclear. I think there was, um, you know, I think there were a lot of people preparing for something to happen overnight. Um, you know, you look at it from two different sides. Uh, from the enforcement option for police, you know, they, they would want to move in when uh, people are less prepared. And so some sort of early dawn overnight action might make sense in that. But we haven't heard for sure from police. We don't know what their plans are. They have not been uh, publicly uh, stating them. And uh, that obviously, for operational reasons, they don't want to tip anybody off about what they're going to do or when. Uh, so when there was an expectation and the, the flood of uh, police started coming in this morning, you know, even some of the organizers were live streaming themselves, seeming kind of frantic and caught off guard, not expecting something like this to happen. So, um, you know, maybe maybe this morning was a dry run. We're just not sure. Uh, getting a better eye on things uh, about the reactions of people when this uh, sudden increase in police presence was known and getting a feel for how the crowd might react if they were to step in at another time. Um, but uh, the other option is, you know, if you do do it overnight, less chance of a lot of cameras catching it. But uh, I, I don't think that's going to change anything because everybody down here has a phone out. They're all live streaming everything they're doing uh, on Facebook, elsewhere. They're, they're publicly broadcasting everything they're doing here. So, you know, if there are charges that are to be had, uh, just like we saw with January 6th in the States, uh, police collected a lot of this public evidence because people were live streaming it uh, online. And that's what's happening here as well. Everybody's got their camera out showing what's going on. So, We'll see what happens, um, you know, uh, but if the thinking is to avoid uh, video cameras, I think that's unavoidable in, in this day and age with the amount of uh, cameras people have on their phones, etc. You know, Cormac, you're going to look back on this if you, if you get to the point I'm at in my career, and this is going to be the story of your life. It's, it's uh, definitely a story. Uh, it's something, yeah, it, it's going to be one of those stories that I can say I remember being here for everything that's happened here because... This is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this. From the reaction of the police right off the bat, allowing them to come to downtown, which raised a lot of questions, raised a lot of eyebrows about security, to uh, what's happening here, to the Emergencies Act being invoked. These are unprecedented times. Uh, I'm going to be fascinated to see what comes out of the public inquiries that come out of this, because I believe they have to have a public inquiry according to the Emergencies Act whenever it's invoked. Uh, And some of the intelligence some of the um, information that police and authorities have had in the lead up to this to warrant uh, the new measures, to warrant the actions, uh, I think that's going to be put under the microscope uh, by the public, and rightfully so. Um, Whether or not the Emergencies Act was invoked, there are a lot of people in downtown Ottawa, residents who have been dealing with this for three weeks now, nonstop honking, disruption to their lives, who want answers as to why things happened the way they did, how was it allowed to get to this point, and whether the measures being taken to deal with this are the right measures, the correct measures, or whether uh, we could see further actions as a a result. The other thing I'll mention before uh, we wrap up is 
you know, the security concerns, uh, an- another issue along with uh, having kids and the weather is there's so much gasoline and diesel and propane here. They have stockpiles of it around their trucks. There's also, it's not clear what's inside a lot of these trucks. Uh, so, you know, there's this question mark over um, what could be inside these trucks. There have been concerns raised about the potential and possibility of weapons. However, we've had no confirmation that there are weapons on the main site down here. But um, just the fact that they have so much accelerant down on Wellington Street in front of the Prime Minister's office, Parliament Hill, other buildings in the area, that's got to be another safety concern because, as I said, all it takes is one person to do something with tools like that, and there could be a problem. Cormac, thanks for your time. Anytime. All right, take care out there. Cormac McSweeney from our uh, Parliament Hill uh, Bureau. We are, as I often have said, in referencing our issues at Ezra Avenue, a single thrown beer bottle away from anarchy. And uh, you wonder, uh, because this has not, I, I don't think this has gone the way any of the enforcement agencies thought it would. Cormac mentioned all the things that could happen afterwards. Meanwhile, we haven't mentioned the Ottawa Police Services Board or Ottawa City Council, both of whom don't look particularly good these days. Uh, John, go ahead. How's things going with you? They're all right, John. You seem to have picked the wrong time of your career to uh, go on hiatus. <laughs> you know, history in the making. Uh, my question is, uh, invoking the War Measures Act, yeah, call it what you want, but that's all it is, is a remake of the War Measures yeah, Act. Yeah, a, a, uh, a slightly less painful one, yeah. Yeah, requires the approval of Parliament and then the Senate. Okay. Has that happened? Did uh, I miss that? Got to admit, don't know, assuming yes. Because so this the, is where so we are have, right now. They have voted on this, <clears throat> and it passed in Parliament. Right. Has it passed in the Senate? I don't know. i got to look that up, in all honesty. You know, I, I really I didn't see anything in, uh, in the news where this passed in Parliament. Uh, I'm assuming that if it passed in the, uh, of course, the Liberals, uh, you know, do what their uh, uh, hair says, uh, the, uh, and the Dippers will just follow along, you know, because they, they can't afford another election. The, um, but I haven't heard anything on how the vote went. I'm I'm going to have to look into it, John. In all honesty, I just haven't had <laughs> had time to look it up. But interesting question. We yeah, actually it's, it's really questionable as to whether or not their actions are even even legal. So we all know, uh, you know, Trudeau will break the law at, at his convenience. You know, but uh, um, you know, in public eye, he's going to uh, you know break the law and go ahead and uh, you know attack all these uh, people with uh, without the authorization from the Senate. That just doesn't seem right. I will look into it, John. There are, there have been questions, and we actually did reach out to at least one political science professor who has questioned the constitutionality of invoking the Emergencies Act. Sadly, uh, that professor has not been able to get back to us at this point, because I, I think it is a question to ask. He makes a very interesting point about the requirements of putting the Emergencies Act in place and whether or not what we are currently seeing meets that bar. Paul, go ahead. Hey, Brian. Um, I'm actually just a comment. I'm quite glad that they're actually live streaming all of the events that are going on, uh, you know, because we had all those fake news reports and those kinds of things about all this trouble happening there. And there, there really hasn't been from anyone that I've talked to or anybody that I've seen. So I'm really glad that, you know, there's, you know, thousands of phones out there and we're actually recording what's really happening. And let's, and let's and, always yeah. remember, Paul, that those people who are armed with phones will also do things that show themselves in their best light. Let's at least well, agree to that. 
Well, certainly. I mean, you know, you're going to have that, right? But if something happened, somebody was something bad happened, somebody else was streaming from the other side. So we just haven't seen that, you know. And with all the, I just want to make one comment that with all the cell phones that we've got, and, and there's like six billion in the world. I'm still really troubled and puzzled that uh, we still only have UFO pictures from the 70s, those grainy UFO-type pictures. <laughs> after any and, and, and the last picture i saw of bigfoot was in 73 uh you know so that's all i have to say here's my question paul why the hell would any alien come to this planet right now give me a break who wants who wants to take it over at this point jason go ahead brian uh they were actually debating the motion this morning i thought so uh, yeah I was watching some of the live stream um quite interesting you know how the different uh sides obviously argue their to their point um and just to comment on the last caller's uh, comment that everything's peaceful down in Ottawa. Obviously, we don't live in Ottawa. Um, but can you imagine on your own street in Waterloo or Kitchener having transport trucks blaring outside your house 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the last three weeks? So peaceful doesn't necessarily mean it's a fit and not a physical uh, altercation. It means that people are being... Um, uprooted from their normal lives because of a bunch of clowns who are more worried about overthrowing a democratic government than actually um, realizing that you can't overthrow a democratic government. And my last point, Brian, is I know a lot of uh, has been made of the residents of Ottawa. I saw a video this morning of a homeless gentleman down in Ottawa, and I think we often and we always lose sight of our homeless. And if you've ever been to Ottawa, in around uh, Parliament Hill and, and downtown, yep. lots of homeless people are down there. And they're being, again, uprooted from, from their lives um, because of these, these clowns. Because they're clowns down there. In my own opinion, they're clowns. Um, Brian, good luck in your next endeavor. I appreciate your candor and your honesty with all your callers. And I wish nothing but the best for you, Brian. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate the call. Rui, go ahead. Hello. Brian. Yeah. Good morning. I just want to say, man, the interview you had whatever it was, it was a story with uh, your friend this morning. That's my brother. Oh, that really, that was like, I couldn't stop listening to it, right? That was really a good story. And uh, what's he doing now? What am, what am I doing now or what's he doing now? No, what's he doing now? What's he doing now? I think, if I remember right, Dave uh, records audiobooks. He might be the voice of the... Uh, Oddly enough, Charter of Rights and Freedoms, if you picked up the audiobook for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a really, uh, oh, it was an amazing story. You know, some of it kind of related to me in a certain ways. I wouldn't go into it. But I just want to say that was a great story. But with the trucker thing, I support the truckers, you know, but I'm not there. I didn't go there. I'm a trucker. I'm not going there. What, what, do, you su- what do you support about it, Rui? Because there's just so I, many different stories here. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I don't, you know, a trucker is in the cab by himself like I am all day long. Who am I giving cover to? <laughs> I mean, by the time we get to the scale houses, we're not even allowed to come out of the truck. You know what I mean? They send the ticket down through the chutes, and you're all by yourself, and you pick up the chutes. I'm sure the guys going across the border, the, the normal guys at the border, you know, they know them. It's like, bang, bang, you just go through it. You don't have to get out of your truck. You know, so I think Trudeau made a mistake. He should have talked to them. He should have said, okay, you know, what your problems, what your beef, this and that, and we'll talk about it. But no, Trudeau went the wrong, the wrong way, I believe. 
All right, thanks. You know, he's calling people all kinds of names. It's not cool, eh, Brian? No, no, I, I, I agree, Rory. I, I don't necessarily think that the, uh, that the PM needs to meet with people whose stated goal at that time was to overthrow the Democratic government. But I do believe that a different tone of language... I've had somebody already yell at me on Twitter saying, you know, just doing something and, and not expecting anything to happen is not necessarily a strategy. You're right. I'm not sure that anything would have changed... But maybe you take the temperature down a bit. I don't know. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. And we're expecting as much as 30 centimeters of snow. So if we're getting that overnight, that's going to be a bit add add to the difficulties, if you will, for uh, the police in terms of dealing with any enforcement options with this protest. And the other worry is you've got thousands of people who come in every weekend, the weekend warriors for this protest. The worry is that if they don't take action before the weekend, city councils have expressed this concern that we're going to see thousands of people flood the city again if they don't take action before the long weekend hits. Cormac McSweeney from our Ottawa Bureau. Uh, he is uh, at, well, he's at the very center of what is happening in Ottawa. A lot of talk about some kind of enforcement. So far, it hasn't happened. Dawn, go ahead. Good morning. How are you? Or good afternoon. How are you? I'm good, Dawn. Okay. Um, you know, I'm it's day twenty one. Nothing's going on. Um I live in Waterloo and I know that if I leave my vehicle out on the road, I get ticketed if it's a snowfall warning. <laughs> yes, you do. Actually you yeah. don't even need a snowfall warning, Don. You can get ticketed in Waterloo any time of the year. Yes, I know. I've left my car at a bar in downtown Waterloo and done the right thing, taking a cab home, and gone back to get it with a $30 ticket. Yep. But that's but that's the least of my issue. Um, you know, unfortunately, these uh, these the citizens of Ottawa need some peace, and we need to get them out of there. And I don't know if we have to go to the extremes we did with the with the G7 and G10, where we just uh, blockade them all up, let them run out of resources, and then when they want to leave, then ticket them. Anyways, that's my comment. All right, thanks, Don. Obviously, uh, for for people who live in downtown Ottawa, their peace has certainly been breached. Now, people will say peaceful protest, you know, there hasn't been a riot, there hasn't been a fight, and there are all those other things. Okay, fine. Still, if you are living in the center of that, it has been far from peaceful for those people. I, I have said this from the very beginning. I cannot come up with a scenario where this ends without some images that I don't particularly think we want to see in this country. And whether or not bringing in the Emergencies Act was the right move, maybe it was the only move based on what I think was some inaction at the very beginning, certainly on the part of, uh, of Ottawa police and other agencies, it's, uh, it could be a very, very interesting day. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. far out on the cannabis spectrum that we can go, as is the great tradition of this program, dating back uh, almost four years, to do a cannabis segment. We play what we very uh, stereotypically describe as cannabis-based music. 
Why? Because we think it's funny, and it's one one last kick at the can, at least for me. Uh, recent news release from uh, the University of Waterloo says Canada can become the Napa Valley of cannabis tourism. That sounds good. Susan Dupay joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Susan. Hello. Thank you for having me. So if we're going to become the Napa Valley of cannabis tourism, are we going to come overbearing and pretend we're better than everybody else? <laughs> I don't think that that's the Canadian way, to be <laughs> honest. Um, I think that amongst cannabis tourism suppliers in Canada that I've talked with, um, there's a really unique brand that Canada can offer. What People is it, what is that unique brand then, Susan? What makes us, I guess, different? Well, I think that Canada has always had an image of being a place related to nature. It's being a, it's known as a place of tolerance. It's known as a place of progressive social policy. And I think that the cannabis tourism industry has the real opportunity here. Not the cannabis tourism industry, I mean, Canada in general, quite frankly, um, we are we are presented now with an opportunity to be leaders um, in in cannabis tourism. And that is doing cannabis tourism right. Um, and offering all of the experiences that are Canada, um, but also there's this added layer of experience that can be had in place when cannabis is consumed. And that is what really will make Canada unique in terms of cannabis tourism. We would have to open things up a little bit, though, Susan, because we, yes, we have legalized yes. uh, cannabis Yes. But we're still hiding it behind plain packaging. You can't do any advertising. Hard to build a Napa Valley. Yes. To me, if you're yes. going to continue to treat cannabis in that way. I love this comment because this is the exact challenge that the industry is facing right now. The Cannabis Act focuses on regulation around production. It does not focus on the consumption end of the cannabis commodity chain. And so this becomes the real issue, right? So we say to the people of Canada, okay, yes, you can come and legally buy cannabis um, in these stores for recreational purposes, for leisure purposes. Um, however, it's up to you find a place to consume it. I'm not, right, so that's exactly it. We need the regulation um, and consumption the consumption of cannabis in all of its forms, whether it be combustion or vaporization or any type of edible, there needs to be regulation put in place around that. Um, and I think that in Canada and in the United States, too, the players, the actors, the stakeholders of the cannabis tourism industry are really pushing for regulations to be put into place. Um, there is definitely an opportunity here, and there are very um, clever, very brilliant entrepreneurs out there who have been able to create these products by working working around the regulations that they they have to work with. Um, so that that's exactly the that's exactly the crux of the issue is the regulation, and I think that um, <clears throat> that is going to move forward with relationships that develop between the industry and the government, because I'm not 100% sure the government understands um, what we're talking about here. So that is definitely, that's definitely 
a big first step that needs to be taken. And when it is taken and when it does happen, there are going to be there's going to be an explosion. And I'm I'm saying this because, I mean, I see what's going on in, in the United States. And the article references Napa Valley. Napa Valley is in California. California has a legacy of cannabis tourism. It is developed there. And it is popular. And people go to California for cannabis. And so I just, I can see that. I can see that also happening in Canada. And you know what? The U.S. is moving towards regulation as well, um, like hospitality licenses. Um, that would enable a business owner to allow for on-site consumption of cannabis. These things we will get towards. We will move towards it. There's been legalization. Yes, there's been a change. And so now with a change in the law, a change in the culture, right? A change in um, societal views and tolerance. Uh, normalization uh, towards cannabis is what we're talking about will certainly follow. Well, and you mentioned like normalization. You mentioned, you know, Legitimization. What we don't talk about, though, is is destigmatization. It's mm. it still has a stick. Go ahead and yeah. buy your cannabis, but please don't not feel guilty about it. <laughs> well, you know, and that's it. And so that's that's part of the normalization. And I mean, my work. Um, one of the main reasons I'm studying cannabis tourism. I mean, it's personal. It's a form of uh, self-advocacy in such a big way. I mean, this is part of my personal journey to destigmatize cannabis um, using this professional skill set um, that I have in this unique store of, of knowledge because I am a cannabis consumer and I do consume it for very specific purposes and for very specific intentions. And um to be questioned on it, um, I just know that people don't understand. And that's part of the stigma. And that's why education, um, not only in tourism, but in society in general around um, the benefits that surround cannabis um, is really important. And tourism has a role to play with that, too. I mean, and the other thing I wanted to add, too, I mean, look at me. I consider myself, and I can't believe I'm going to be saying this um, on the air, but I consider myself an upwardly motivated pothead. I, I do. I do. And I'm not ashamed of it. I work hard. I have a family. I have three kids. Uh, they all go to school. I have a husband. Um, I mean, we're working together to build a life. And in, and, and in the meantime, I get to do this work um, that I so enjoy doing. And I mean, I want to be a professor at the end of the, at the, end of the day. That's what it is. Um, and so I use that as my proof. I, I say, okay, well, I mean, yes, um, I smoke cannabis, but look, um, I've also been awarded these grants. I've also written these research papers. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Guelph. Um, like, I have all of these credentials. And so I know, I know that, um, I mean, and this is, again, a personal experience for everyone. Um, this research has enabled me to sort of step forward and say, okay, look, yes, I'm a consumer. And I'm, I'm hoping that um, not only... Not only can cannabis tourism be stigmatized, but my my doing this work, um, I'm hoping can destigmatize or lend to it to some degree. You see, now I'm feeling bad about my stereotypical music, although I do it just as a, <laughs> as, as a joke. But... No, I mean, you know what, Bob Marley, absolutely, Bob Marley. Yes, I mean, there's legacy, right? There's legacy, and it's honored. 
and so even though it is stereotyped, yeah, there is a culture around it. And there's a culture of belonging um, and uh, a culture that so many people identify with and can connect to uh, through. Uh, so don't feel bad about it. I love Bob Barley. And, and I wonder, four or five years ago, Susan, look, you say you've got a husband, you've got three kids, you know, you've got this responsible job. Everybody yeah. would be thinking of Susan as, you know, sitting around sparking up a doobie and then opening up a bag of chips. And you're, <laughs> like, that's the way people think, right? And that's, well, that's right. not the reality. That's right. That's right. And so, I mean, if legalization hadn't uh, have occurred, I don't know if I'd still be in the same spot, right? Like, I'm in a very privileged position to be able um, to do this. Uh, so, I mean, that plays a big role of it, too. I mean, if I was in the United States, would I be able to do this type of research? I don't know. I don't know. It would have to be different, maybe, in some way. So, like, I completely recognize that fact as well. So uh, uh, let's talk about what, what cannabis tourism looks like a little bit. I've been in Amsterdam. It's a little bit more free of a, of a society there when it comes yeah. to cannabis. What are we talking about? It's not street side cafes. Are we talking about, look, we go to wineries now where people yeah. grow the grapes and then we have the wine. Is that what we're looking at? I think that it is very diverse. Cannabis tourism encompasses a number of different types of business models. Consumption lounges like the Amsterdam model is definitely I would say it's probably the most popular. Uh, well, maybe not. Maybe not, actually. I take that back. I take that back. It is it is um, one of the most well-known. And, uh, yeah, consuming cannabis is definitely a tourism attraction. Um, but like you say, there are other, there are other elements to it. Um, in the United States, uh, again, mentioning the United States, um, California, they have agritourism. So you can go to a grow site and actually tour through the field and have a personal and up-close connection with the plant. Now, their regulations are different, so I don't believe you're able to actually purchase the product on site, which is also a very valuable feature for tourism, uh, which is something that actually Ontario and Canada is, is has and is working towards. Um, so those facility tours, um, that's a big part of it. And um, since, since I'm mentioning buying product from the, from the grower, um, what I'm talking about is FarmGate. Um, cannabis FarmGate is when you have the, con- the, the consumer, actually we'll say you have the producer can sell the product that they have grown at that at their growth site at the site in which it was grown so they can have retail locations at their production facilities and so this enables the consumer to come in and purchase the product directly from the grower i think this has massive implications for tourism and in fact i'm going to study it the federal government has awarded me money to do so and i'm in the process of this project right now um and so that is another element that contributes to cannabis so it's the consumption of the cannabis it's the ability to purchase the cannabis on site in which it was grown and it's the ability um to tour the facilities in which the cannabis is grown um i think those are three big things but there's also accommodation uh there are resorts that uh, offer uh, people the um, the chance to consume cannabis. Um, so it's 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 being adapted in many different ways by many different um, types of businesses that are related in some way to tourism. So I don't like I don't even want to pigeonhole it. 
um, because I think that the opportunities that these entrepreneurs are going to create for us um, is beyond anything that I can imagine at this point. So did you, did you say the Farmgate model is allowed or it's still under study? It is allowed. And in fact, we have three Farmgate stores in Ontario currently. Um, and there's, I think, two in New Brunswick. And there uh, are talks in B.C. B.C. hopes to open them. But yes, in, in, in Ontario, there are three. What the heck? The left coast doesn't have them open yet? That doesn't seem right. <laughs> <laughs> Ontario, B. I know, right? So very interesting, right? Interesting way things unravel uh, geographically. Yeah. I just love that concept so much. Susan, thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No, it was an absolute pleasure. That is uh, Susan Dupay of Guelph School of Hospitality, Food, and Tourism Management, cannabis aficionado also, as you've heard. I do I do really like that idea. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of those farm gate ideas, whether that is uh, wineries. I would like to see their pricing adjusted so that they can undercut the LCBO, but that's just me. You know, if that's, that's my freedom that I'm fighting for today. Um, I, I think that makes perfect sense. And Cannabis Farmgate, the same way. I know of a couple of places as I drive out towards Bayfield where there are some pretty big greenhouse operations. Having that Farmgate operation there, I, 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 don't, I don't dislike it. I don't think we're going to end up in the zombie apocalypse where everybody is stoned. Joe, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I promise to behave. Um <laughs> I um, I used to be the biggest big head on the planet, and I jokingly said that the day they legalize is the day I'm going to quit. Well, that has more or less happened um, in in some form or fashion. But um, I I always uh, couldn't uh, lament the fact that the government couldn't figure out soon enough that people are going to get what they want. It's even true with, with harder drugs today, and I think that they should at some point move, move toward legalization of those, too. If people want to throw their lives away on that crap, they're going to do it, no matter what. And you can't stop them, and you can't stop the supply. So there, there, there could be so much millions of dollars saved on trying to fight it rather than regulating it, because people are going to do what they want to do. But, you know, by per, from my personal experience, I... I sort of step back from, at least from smoking weed, because the weed now is so freaking powerful. It's like, uh, it's wheelchair weed. I don't want to sit in a corner and blow bubbles while I'm trying to entertain a group of people, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get it, Joe. Thanks. I appreciate, I appreciate it. That's, uh, I, look, I know virtually nothing outside of my own little experiences that happened largely in the 70s and a couple of years ago that I don't talk about. Jeff, go ahead. Hi, Brian. This might be the last time I get to talk to you before you go off the air, so I want to thank you for all your uh, all your great work that you've done, and uh, I've talked to you a few times before, um, and uh, you've always been very nice to me, so th- thanks for everything you've done, and good luck in your future, okay? No worries. Appreciate um, it, Jeff. So, so to weigh, weigh in on this, uh, <laughs> throw your life away, eh? Um, <laughs> I think I've known a lot more people that have thrown their life away on alcohol than, than uh, marijuana, but hey, that's just me. Um, but I think this is great. Like, when they were talking about legalizing pot, I thought to myself, I, I said to people, you know, what a great way that we could make some money in this pro, uh, in this country uh, when people are smoking it anyway. We could have made money off the taxes, but then they went ahead and and uh, and and priced themselves right out of the market. Um, so the people that I know that consume. 
don't even buy it off the government because you can get it half as cheap somewhere else. Um, so this is all a great idea. But if the government gets their hands in it and decides, hey, we're going to tax the crap out of this like we do everything else, guess what? People that want people that want to go to these grow places, they're not going because it's too expensive. I can, you know, why would I? Why would I go there and spend my money when I can? when I can get a lot cheaper elsewhere. All right, Jeff, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Look, I've heard that from a lot of people. Also have heard from people who are involved in the business of cannabis that uh, government pricing has come down to be very, very competitive with the guy. But I don't know how true that is. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Canada has always had an image of being a place related to nature. It's, being a, it's known as a place of tolerance. It's known as a place of progressive social policy. And I think that the cannabis tourism industry has the real opportunity here. Not the cannabis tourism industry, I mean, Canada in general, quite frankly. Um, we, are, we are presented now with an opportunity to be leaders. That's Susan DePay from the uh, School of Hospitality at the University of Guelph. And man, I wish I'd met her before because she becomes a favorite guest in a heartbeat. Mark, go ahead. Oh, hi, Brian. Uh, just a quick comment on your cannabis topic here. Um, you're allowed four plants in your backyard. So you do your four plants and basically for free. You smoke it for free. And if you live in an apartment, do one plant on your balcony, smoke it for free. I don't know how the government's making any money. I honestly don't. There, there's the option to smoke it for free, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Not everyone has the green thumb that's necessary. Paul, go ahead. Oh, good day, sir. Um, I just wanted to thank you first for, I guess, your years of service. There's there's times that your show and shows like yours are the conscience of the community. That's how I feel, and just wanted to thank you for that first and foremost. I appreciate that, Paul. Um, I do have a question about not not cannabis. I don't really care about that. The Truckers Convoy has been labeled, and even on your program, as being an anti-government protest. And I'm just wondering what that is. I've been in Florida for two weeks, just got back a few days ago. At the very beginning of this, Paul, there was a group called, and I believe it's called Canada Unity. They had tossed out a memorandum of what they called understanding a year ago that talked about what they wanted, which was to have the Trudeau government overthrown, meet with the governor general, and get a group of senators together, and they would run the country for a while. Yeah, I, I which you can't, which you had, can't legally do. No, obviously, and I mean, I listened to an interview you had with a gentleman well, about a month or so ago that was kind of a representative, and and yes. you did a good job of shutting down his foolishness. But is it? I mean, is it in your opinion or or the opinion of most that it is? I don't anti-government thing. Well, I, I, well, I, I think there's Paul. I think there's a significant amount of of anti-government. Uh, feeling, I think it's it's I think it's more anti-Trudeau than anti-government, but there's anti-government in there too, and I think there are still people who are against vaccines, and I think still there are people who are against vaccine mandates. I don't think it's really easy to put a blanket over this and say all of these people are against this. But when I see people driving around with F Trudeau signs, I know what that means. Well, don't go to America if you like Joe Biden. <laughs> Thanks. I know, Paul. That's there too. I don't know when we cross that line of discourse. But we have certainly crossed it. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. 
for the people all said sit down sit down you're rocking the boat people all said sit down sit down you're rocking the boat and the devil will drag you under for the sharp lapel of your checkered coat sit down sit down sit down sit down sit down you're rocking the boat I don't know if you've noticed, but energy prices have gone up. You know, like gasoline? I'm going to have to put some gas in the, in, the, in the orange beast in probably the next couple of days. Not particularly looking forward to it. I've been surviving, as I've probably told you, for the last couple of years, basically putting 20 bucks of gas in my car every 10 days because they don't go anywhere. And uh, now all of a sudden, 20 bucks doesn't carry me my 10 days. And electricity prices go up. Obviously, if gas is going up, the price of oil is going up, so heating oil is going up. Lots of costs. Mike Schreiner is the leader of the uh, Green Party of Ontario, also the uh, MPP for Guelph. And, uh, well, Mike, how do we save some money outside of sitting around in the dark and the cold, which seems like fun? Yeah, Brian, we certainly don't want to be sitting in the dark or out in the cold. So I'm the Ontario Greens are putting forward some solutions to help with rising energy prices. And when it comes to cars, let's make electric vehicles affordable for people. I mean, for me to plug my car in overnight at home costs a couple bucks or so to fill it up with electricity, uh, about 10 to 12 bucks at a high-speed charger. Compared to what people are paying uh, at the pumps, it just makes sense to go electric. And when it comes to our utility bills, let's actually provide financial supports to people and businesses to help them retrofit their buildings to make them more energy efficient so we can help people save money by saving energy. And by the way, create hundreds of thousands of good jobs uh, retrofitting our buildings. But it's, it's we got we got to spend money to save money. I guess we understand that, Mike. But but it's tough for most people with the way prices have gone up over the last couple of years. Oh, it's really tough, Brian. And and you know it's, and you know if you look at what most experts are predicting, energy costs are only going to continue to rise. And so that's why. You know, putting Band-Aids on it isn't going to solve the problem for people. I mean, Ontario Greens have been calling for ways to make life more affordable for for people by switching to cheaper energy sources. And, you know, now's the time to do it. And by the way, it also helps us address the climate crisis, which is, which is uh, related to all this as well. But you know what? It costs much less to take public transit, drive an electric vehicle, Let's make homes more energy efficient to save people money on their utility bills. Those are the solutions that can help people save money today, tomorrow, and well into the future. And, Mike, you mentioned transit, and that's interesting because I've been doing a little research on, on how I could possibly get to a spot in Scarborough in the next little while. Yes. No, no, that's actually true. I have to figure this out. Yep. There is no convenient way to take transit. It is a two-and-a-half-hour journey. And you know what? I don't have enough time on this planet to deal with that anymore. And it's at least 10 years before any of that changes. Yeah, I hear you on that one, Brian. And by the way, uh, congratulations on your new gig. I I wish you well. I've certainly enjoyed uh, being with you on the radio and uh, and hope the next chapter is as successful as this one has been for you. And, you know, one of the ways we can quickly uh, ramp up uh, transit, which is something I was just in Cambridge the other day talking about is let's get more electric buses on the road immediately. That's a quick way that we could increase transit uh, rapidly. Probably not going to help you in Scarborough. So, you know, I would recommend, you know, my electric car uh, for you for that one. But I'm thinking of people who live in the region in particular. So, you know, getting from Guelph to KW or Guelph to Cambridge or Cambridge down to Brantford or vice versa. Um, let's build a regional transit network. The fastest way to roll that out is using buses. 
and let's make it affordable, accessible, and convenient for people. Now you've given me an idea. We can carpool, right? That would, that'd be good for the environment, right? There's That's not a, true. Not the so worst idea in the world. Figure out a way. I I could get you as far as Queens Park. Oh, well, you're right, going right. <laughs> you're going right by where I need to go. So. <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. <laughs> uh, but you know, I hear this now and then, Mike. When we talk about electric vehicles, etc., all of those things, and the more, isn't it true that the more we put electrical vehicles on, the more the more we're going to put stress on our electric system? Isn't that going to cause its own problems? Because hey, supply and demand going to jack electricity prices up, right? No, it actually can help us. Uh, one of the problems we have in Ontario right now is we're selling a lot of our excess electricity capacity to other jurisdictions at a loss. We'd be much better off using that electricity right here in Ontario, and particularly overnight. We have way more capacity, uh, more electricity capacity at night than, than, you know, than we need, and we could be using that to fill people's cars up with electricity overnight, and then they drive it during the day and plug in at night. And if we even get really smart, we can have what's called bi-directional charging, which you're seeing in a number of other jurisdictions, where while your car sits at work, and particularly in the summer months when electricity demand is driven by air conditioners, you could actually put electricity back into the grid from your car, turning your car into a little mini power plant, making a little extra money for yourselves and helping Ontarians save money because then we don't have to build uh, high-cost uh, peaking electricity plants to deal with that those small high-demand moments, particularly in the afternoons and early evenings when people turn on their air conditioners. I guess like, like any other thing, when we go through these, these energy bumps, Mike, uh, Dad's advice still maintains. Turn off the light if you're not in the room. Yep. Turn down the heat a little bit. Try to do everything all at once, right? Like don't, don't be spreading out the electricity all day long. Yeah, you know what, Brian? I've turned into one of those dads. Like we I all do. My dad. <laughs> I remember my dad telling me that as a kid, and I've turned into one of those dads. I'll have to admit it. I'm not heating the outside. <laughs> right? We all exactly. say it at some point. Exactly. <laughs> Mike, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, take care, Brian. You do. I wish you wish you all the best. Mike Schreiner is the uh, leader of the Green Party of Ontario, also the uh, MPP. For Guelph, of course, he will be running in the next election. Maybe he'll have more people come to his party. Wouldn't that be fun? Stefan. Or is it Stephen? Oh, Stefan. Stefan. Okay. I shall say it with an accent for no apparent reason. (laughs) There are companies out there like Hylion in Texas that convert uh, Class A trucks, which are transport trucks, to run 100% on natural gas using RNG technology. And basically, your trucks would be net negative carbon because not only you're using methane but you're taking the methane from landfill uh there are stations all over canada and 670 stations in u.s that are methane and it would actually help everything related to carbon for all the transport trucks stefan uh, if we could if we can run vehicles on methane that means we could just hook it up to a cow and we'd be fine right right well no no we're gonna need some help more elaborate than that because from the landfill you collect the methane and you're using it as a burning source so not only are you eliminating class a trucks by not using the diesel which is a heavy pollutant you're also taking something that's produced from the methane uh from the landfills and apply it to the trucks and uh and the infrastructure is already there it doesn't have to be installed there's stations all over canada that have methane and ideas like that should be recommended to the parliament or having incentives for the trucks like Peterbilt, Kenworth, 
that they can apply to convert that. And actually, Peterbilt already has a deal with Hylion, which produce uh, 150 trucks daily that run on methane. So ideas like that should be recommended. Hi, right, Stefan. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. I, I, I like to learn about things like that. Marina, go ahead. Yes, hi. How are you? I'm good. I just want to do more or less have a couple comments. Uh, first of all, I totally disagree what the Green Party person was saying about not putting stress on the electricity. You're absolutely right what you were saying. If there's more demand, the prices will go up like with everything else. I think electric cars are great, but A, the government is not doing anything to help out with getting us uh, cheaper prices. Plus, I find that the cars are still only giving you three, 400 kilometers. And if you are in business and you are in sales and you have to drive a lot, cannot take the time to constantly look for somewhere where you can charge. Is, is, that, your, is that your situation, Marina? It is. Ah, okay. I'm driving a lot. I'm actually just on my way back from Montreal. I do have a hybrid, which I love my hybrid because I do both. I have my electricity as well as I have my gas. So I just went from Cornwall to Montreal and back to air ontario on one tank because of my um hybrid portion as well but i think people always hear one thing and they think like oh this is the best thing ever let's buy everybody has electric cars and then suddenly they're going to turn around and the electricity will be as expensive as a gas right now. No, oh, don't don't even talk about things like that, Marina. Drive safe, Marina. Thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. Rui, go ahead. Uh, good afternoon again, uh, Brian. Yeah, but she is right, eh? The more electrical cars you're going to have on the grids, the more the grid is going to have to power up. So one way or the other, we're paying for energy. Me? I will drive an electrical car, make sure it sounds like a V8. So give me something. Like, electrical cars are quiet. I don't like that. Is, this, you know is I mean? this impacting your manliness, Ruby? Is it? <laughs> yes, it is, Brian. <laughs> I want, yes, it is. I want to hear the boom, 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 boom. Well, here you, you know go. I mean? I've solved your problem for you. You make the noise yourself, get a microphone, put it on the car, and go, um, 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 um. there you go, you're all set. <laughs> That's funny. But you know what? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm with it. I, you know, like I know the future, what the future is. I don't know, but I figure it's going to be electrical cars. Yeah. You know what, Brian? Actually, if you take a drill and you hold it to your hand and you spin it, try to put a bit in, that's a lot of power, right? Most of the time you can't hold on to it, right? Sure. So electrical cars have a lot of torque. I love that. Yeah, I know. That I've, means I've you can really take out fast. Yeah, they do. All move. I want, Brian. Is a sound. All right. Boom, we, boom, 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 boom. We can fix that. <laughs> That's All right. not a problem. We really appreciate the call. Look, I get it. Right? For those who are gearheads, you love the sound of the car. So, that should be easy, right? John, go ahead. So, I have a question and a comment. The question is, it sounds like you picked up a new gig. Where are you headed? Uh, at this point, I, I'm not prepared to publicly say that. But uh, so I'm 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 going somewhere. I'm not sure if you'll hear from me again publicly. We'll see. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, 
my comments relate to the use of the or, or electric cars in general. Um, so, A, our existing electrical grid system is not large enough to support one at every house. So we've got some significant infrastructure problems that are going to impact whether the government uh, incentivizes us to purchase these. And B, I'm not convinced that electric cars are any better for the environment. Uh, A, because 50% of them are made from plastic, which are made, plastics made from, is a byproduct from oil and gas. And the other part is, how are we going to dispose of these batteries? And then the third part is, what is the impact on the earth to mine all this lithium ion out of the earth to create these batteries? So I think in the long run, we're not going to find that they're any better than a, uh, a typical gas-burning vehicle. Perhaps not. Thanks, John. I <laughs> appreciate it. John. Other John. John 2. John B. John Doe. John Doe. John Doe. Yeah. These, you know, you've got to give up these creative names. Okay. Listen, uh... 30 years uh, before I retired in automotive research and development on alternative fuels and vehicle systems, the um, natural gas is nothing new, neither is propane. The uh, electric vehicles, uh, I think I may have mentioned this to you yesterday about uh, uh, the necessity for rare earth elements in order Mm -hmm. to build electric vehicles. And, of course, China has a monopoly on on rare earth. The... uh, you know, after 30 years, I get a pretty good idea as to what works and what doesn't. Natural gas works as long as there's government subsidies to pay for the uh, the premium on a natural gas vehicle. Same with propane. You know, hybrid vehicles, uh, a hybrid vehicle, you know, that woman is driving down the highway, or she's driving down the highway, the hybrid vehicle has absolutely no uh, advantage over gasoline because you're still running the engine constantly in order to... Uh, uh, to drive it. It may be electric drive, but the batteries would be dead in no time at all. The, um, you know, it, it's nice to talk about these things, but uh, uh, picture this. Uh, six o'clock at night, everybody in the condo in Toronto all gets home from work about the same time. They all plug their vehicles in to charge them up, and uh, uh, what happens to the grid then? These buildings were built with a certain size transformer in them in order to be able to run the normal electrical load of the building. You put in all these on-site chargers in the uh, parking garage of all these places, you're going to need another transformer. And usually they're put in before the brickwork goes up. They're bricked in. They're not replaceable. So just how are we going to charge these things? They, You know... People have got all these pie-in-the-sky ideas about how this is going to work, solar energy and whatnot, uh, you know, it's going to charge our vehicles. Right now, the only alternative we have is a highly fuel-efficient, and the cars today are extremely fuel-efficient, gasoline-powered vehicle. It has a high concentration of density of the fuel. You can drive a long ways with the product, the um, I'm not saying there isn't a, a time and a place for electric vehicles, but that's only within the city in heavy traffic. If you're going to drive the vehicle to work in the morning, park it there, and then drive it back at night, you're not safe. You know what the payoff time would be on that for the premium? A no. long time. Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate, look, I, I, I know there are upsides and downsides. I can see as urban vehicles, electric vehicles could be tremendously valuable. For a person like me, you know, who's largely been driving at most, 12 kilometers a day for the last couple of years. 
you know, perhaps it works for me. It doesn't need to be all that powered. It doesn't need to be that powerful. There's only me in my car, so that's all that matters. I don't need a whole lot of space. Me and my golf clubs, I'm pretty good. Kyle, go ahead. Jeez, I wasn't going to go on the car, car uh, subject. I was going to go back to your uh, talking about your, your brother that you found out for 10 years or didn't know you had for 10 years. No, we didn't, we didn't know we had him for 50 years. <laughs> okay, 50 years. All right, well, I got a quick story for you. Um, I just found out seven years ago, I found my family in Hungary for the first time. And it was just a fluke. What I did was, because I have no family here in Canada on the Hungarian side of my mom's side here. They're all in Europe. And I uh, found out my grandma's maiden name, what village she lived in. I sent a few people on Facebook a message. I said, listen, this is who I'm looking for. Gave them a little bit of family history. A girl came back to me. She said, I'll help you. 24 hours later, found out that my cousins were her next door neighbor. That's pretty cool. Yep. Sent me photos and all that stuff of when I was a kid and all that stuff. And I was like, wow, that is like, you know, crazy that that happened. So I totally get how you feel, right? It's like just like a, a, a crazy feeling that you find somebody that's related to you that you had no idea, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, Carl. Anyways, thanks, Brian. Yep. Appreciate the call. The interesting thing about that story for me, for Dave, it was very different because all of a sudden he got all these siblings and and, <laughs> and nieces and nephews and all that thing. All, all I did was gain another brother. That was basically it. He's the one who had to carry most of the weight. Zoltan, go ahead. How you doing, Brian? Good. Hey, how lucky can you get on your second last day? You got back-to-back Hungarian. <laughs> well, it's certainly always been a dream. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Hey, look, uh, many, many moons ago, before you were born, I had a chain of restaurants, and uh, the big craze back then was propane. And the government offered something like $1,000 to, to change manifolds, intakes, and so on. So I got my six trucks from my commissary and changed them all. And uh, we had the propane tank and everything else because we had to pay for part of it. And it was like 10 cents a gallon for the propane. It was great. Within six months, because everybody got on the bandwagon, it was over two bucks a gallon. So I changed back to gas. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sultan. You are saying that other that companies will take advantage of supply and demand? Shocking. Manny, go ahead. Zoltan said that you were lucky because you got back-to-back Hungarians. I know. I think that I think that you're so lucky that the Pope has been calling you. Whether <laughs> it's John or Paul, I'm putting it together. John Paul, he's. It, it, I think you should be honored. PJP too, as I used to call him, quite disrespectfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wanted to chime in about like there. Somebody said something about rare earth metals. I encourage anybody that's actually thinking that uh, you know electric cars and batteries are going to be beneficial for the environment are only looking at the emissions at you at time of or, or of ownership or usage. Um, uh, there, there's some really great documentaries out there about how cobalt is mined in, in the Congo and how unbelievably awful it is for the people that live there. All right. Um, I, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Very. No. Very true. Many. I got to take yeah. a bit of a break here. Well. We could talk about diamond mines, too. Lots of bad things out there. Murray, go ahead. Well, listen, I had a propane van once before, and I'll never buy one that's just straight propane. A dual propane gas, yeah. But anyways, uh, the reason I called, Brian, I I didn't know if I would be able to get through to you tomorrow. And I just want to thank you for your sense of humor. I'm going to really miss your off-the-cuff little lines that you come up out of nowhere, buddy. I've been listening to you for quite a long time, and I've spoken to you quite a few times, and I am really going to miss you, and I want to bless you all the best in your future endeavors. 
Thank you, Murray. I really appreciate it. I, uh, the, my only wish in this world, Tom, I'm not going to be able to get to you here, but we've got plenty of time tomorrow. My only wish in this world is that my wife found me half as funny as I think I am. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Holy cow, not a lot of time. Mike, go ahead. Mike. Yes, hello, how are you today? Good. Okay, are you talking about electric vehicles? Yep, got to go quick. People don't realize that 30% of the money that from their fossil fuels go towards road taxes. So if you're plugging it in at home, are you going to pay the road tax? Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, Barry, quick. Yeah, I just wanted to tell you that uh, uh, years ago I uh, built a house and I put an electric uh, furnace in it because there was a thing to do. But uh, then after a few years, seven, eight years, I sold it. And the guy that never cut wood or nothing for the wood stove, which I had, the first thing to go was the electric furnace. It cost him a fortune. All right. Thanks, Barry. Appreciate the call, Tom. Not going to get to you. Uh, tomorrow, this was the penultimate show, which I think tomorrow means it's the ultimate show. Here's what it means. It means tomorrow is the last show. This is it. Tomorrow, Kitchener's Today with Brian Burke. Last time, I, I'm going to have another one of my favorite guests on, Sylvain Charlebois. Will join me to talk about food and a bunch of other things, probably because Sylvain's really fascinating. Uh, actor George Clooney will be here. Um, a variety of other uh, really A-list celebrities. I made all of that up. I'll be here. Brittany Bill will be here. Paulie will be here. We will replay the legendary, legendary TV dinners bit. Join me tomorrow, noon to three. This is Kitchener today on City News five seventy. Happy trails to Yeah.